This is the Sound of Foghorn Podcast. Fiala intercepts again, trying to find the handle on it. He does. He scores! What a play by Fiala! Your number one podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Now I'm proud to select with the ninth pick in the 2020 draft from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, Marco Rossi. Covering their prospects, the NHL, AHL, news, advanced stats, and much more. Sets up Molino, back to Boldy, shoots, and scores! The BC Kid returns home and scores his first. Goes to work for the Wild, centers one, Erickson Eck with a shot, he scores! Jewel Erickson Eck, he's the hero. Poked away Kaprizov, in for a chance to win it, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Bach. Hello and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn, Thursday, January 23rd, 9.02 p.m. At the time of this recording, the Colorado Avalanche are one win away from their first Stanley Cup since 2001, which I know makes Zeke super happy. Barrett um, Marshall, Zeke Boyat, Justin Baki with you, not to talk about the Avalanche, but to continue our player grade series, defense and goaltenders this evening but before we get to all that gotta check in on everyone and zeke since i i called you out a little bit there um how you feeling this evening no i'm uh, doing good like i just got back from uh was in milwaukee the last few days uh you know, just a little vacation to have fun time but uh very hot like i'm like i think pretty sure it was around here too so that made it hard but you know, speaking of the avalanche we were walking back you know, I was in Wisconsin, of course, and there's a bunch of people in like Badger and Packer gear, and I was like, "Oh, great!" I'm surrounded by them. And then I walk, get back to the hotel last night after dinner, and uh, there's a guy walking in with a, a Chinese knockoff Nathan McKinnon jersey on, and I all of a sudden he follows us into the in the elevator, gets up, and he's in the room like two doors down. And I, uh, you know, I, of course, jokingly said, "Dad, it's like, well, I mean, y'all gotta." got to change rooms because i can't i said i can't be near that scum which i don't mean that it's a, <laughs> it's uh it's that's all a joke it's part of the thing but you know anyways yeah no i'm doing good uh, just uh, happy to be uh you know here it worked out pretty good got back on 4 30 so i just have to be talking to you guys got your starbucks in you ready to go uh no not, Ooh, uh, not today, today actually but sleepy yes speaking of starbucks <laughs> though i did just randomly find my old birthday uh, gift in my bag from like seven months ago when i pocked it so that's nice nice i call that the pocket lottery yes when you just reach into a <laughs> you know a, a sweatshirt pocket or a pants Whoa. pocket that you haven't worn in like in like months and you're like oh sweet there's like a 20 dollar bill in here i just won the pocket lottery wow <laughs> <I know. laughs> all right and justin how are things at the ever busy baki household Ah, oh, they're good today was basically my monday for work uh Got home from work, gone straight to volunteering for my son's baseball, get our volunteer hours in, and uh, just 
finishing up baseball season and they're going to hop right into hockey season. So just one thing to the next, but doing well, uh, ready to talk about our player grades here and uh, give a shout out to my friend who is an abs fan. His name's Sean. He's a new follower. Um, uh, I'd be happy for him if his team won. I am rooting for, rooting for the lightning, but uh, I have to give him a shout out because he said uh, he got a new follower. So there we go. You're listening. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> and also, I believe a uh, new friend of the pod, Claire, gave us some some nice feedback. First time listener yes. to the pod. Yes. Um, we Appreciate like shout outs in this show. You say good Thank things you. about us, we'll give you shout outs on the podcast. It's that easy. Um, Minnesota nice, as they say. Um, yeah, but you know, this is kind of the second podcast of what will kick off a really, really busy um, next probably almost two months here um, as we mm-hmm. prepare for the off season for the draft. Uh, we have a pretty cool collaboration episode with the Soda Pod that we're hoping to do toward the end of July. Um, we're hoping to bring back um, Expanding the Wild again, talking to some underrepresented communities and representatives of those communities on the podcast as well. So along with some fun episodes mixed in there too, talking about maybe, you know, if we got to be the commissioner um, for the NHL, maybe some rule changes we'd implement. So tons of fun stuff coming. Um, <clears throat> hoping to launch a website this summer. Still hoping to maybe do merch of some kind at some point as well um so tons of stuff coming your way but let's get in now we'll jump right in actually you know do we maybe have a little bit of prospect update um news as it relates to um world juniors justin you might have to throw this uh little clue at me I- i'm having a brain fart yeah, i know well, connor dewar yeah. signed but yeah uh, so connor dewar two-year extension amazing annual value. Love it. Um, And then the World Junior, like, invitations have started to go out. Um, Jesper Wallstedt on the the roster for Sweden and Jack Pert on the radar for the U.S. There may be others. I just haven't looked beyond those two yet. Um, As a reminder of who was there in uh, the wintertime, we had Wallstedt, of course, Pert, and then also Husadinov for Russia, Novak for Canada, um, O'Rourke for Canada, and Lambos for Canada. Um, so wasn't, I don't uh, know. Novak was for Czech, wasn't he? The Czech, yep. Did I say, yeah. Did I say you something? You said Canada. Oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you meant. Right. I'm looking at my Kelowna Czech, Rockets yeah. jersey. So um, <laughs> I don't know if all of those players will be back, but as of now, we know for sure. Um, looks like Wallstead and Pert. Um, we'll be back um, for the August rendition of the World Juniors, which is the makeup uh, for the postponed December tournament. Um, and then for the December one, as of now, I'd have to look back, but I think Lambos and Pert would, I think, both have eligibility. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think Wallstedt would anymore. I think he turns 20 in November, so I think he would miss that mm-hmm. cutoff. But anyway, a little bit of prospect news there. Nothing crazy. Yeah. I appreciate um, the up. I've been so busy. I, I didn't see that. So <laughs> uh, no worries it. at all. That's why we're a team here. Um, but yeah, Connor Dewar extension. Do you guys have any quick thoughts um, on that? I know we, we gave him pretty high praise um, last week, and that signing seemed more or less inevitable, getting that done well mm-hmm. ahead of um, him becoming an RFA. So good piece of business overall for me. I think he's going to yeah. be and should be a very integral part of next year's fourth line. Uh, yeah, I think well, I think my favorite part of it is, sorry, Zeke, no, uh, the one-way mm-hmm. part of the contract because that just says, you know, you're going to be in the NHL next year in my head and uh, hopefully have a better, a bigger role than he did this past year, maybe more consistent minutes. But uh, I'm very happy with the signing because 
I mean, as we did in our player grades last week, he was uh, pretty consistent overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, nothing different. Just, uh, you know, uh, hard to have any, uh, obviously, any problems with when you're signing a guy for $800,000 on the cap, especially the team is right now. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, like, Jeff, I think that's a great point is that, uh, I mean, that's the obvious point, as you mentioned, that pretty much, maybe it doesn't guarantee, but pretty much says that they, have him penciled in to be in the at least in the NHL and yeah, you know, the, in the 13th building, forward at worst. Yeah. He's not going to be a guy that's going to bounce yes. back and forth anymore, which will mm-hmm. be nice. Yep. So, um, two year deal on that. And uh, I think my favorite little bit, of course, all the wild players, you know, on Instagram <laughs> sharing sharing the wilds posts. I think my favorite one was from Felino. Um, we were kind of called out Brandon Dewey, I'm going the better Dewey, and I'm like, it's low key true though. <laughs> um, but good to see that the the team's hyped to have uh, Dewey two back as well. Um, so I think that gets you know any sort of wild news out of the way. Anything else? Just go listen to Russo um, if you want any rumors stuff like that. Uh, we won't cover it until anything becomes official. So let's get in. Uh, we covered all the forwards last week. If you want to check out that episode, the player grades there. Um, feel free to do so, and then jump back into this one or listen to it after, whichever way you want to do it. Um, a reminder for how our grading scale works, a little bit different than maybe other people would do it. Um, our grades are not based on holistic performance comparing player to player, but rather to that player's expectation coming into the year. Um, so, you know, a, a, a C grade isn't necessarily bad. It just means, hey, this guy, you know, kind of did what he was supposed to do, didn't really do more, didn't really do less. Of course, B is exceeding expectation. A is blowing expectations out of the water. Uh, so on and so forth. So, um, do you guys want to start with the defense or start with the goalies? Um, I mean, I think we could, uh, I don't know, I think we could start in goal since it's the, uh, shorter of the two, obviously it's just two or three guys there. So, yeah. Um, Zeke, I guess, Zeke, let's do goalies. We'll start with you since top of mind. Um, and just for the purpose of we didn't really talk about any other players that are traded, we won't talk about Kakinen, despite Flurry's mm-hmm. sample being pretty small. I think it's like 11 games. We'll talk about him and Talbot. Um, I'll let you pick mm-hmm. between those two who uh, who you want to go with first. Um, I would say let's go with Talbot first since he was right. here uh, most. But, you know, for obviously, you know, for him it was kind of a – aside from maybe, you know, as has been talked about a lot, especially at the end of the wild season, and there's a little bit of controversy, you know, he had, you know, up until the last month had been fairly inconsistent uh, until he really turned it on. I mean, you know, you mentioned a bunch of times, Brett, he would literally have five great games and then five horrible games and then five another great games and five bad ones. But, you know, I know his just raw numbers, you know, just over 9, 10, 270 goals against or, you know, by just by that basic measure, pretty average. And I know his maybe advanced stats weren't maybe, uh, you know, as – great of indication or great of a look on him uh, as terms of performance. But I think, again, you know, I pretty much went with just a B minus. Uh, I thought, you know, for the most part, did what he asked you to do, gave him the chance to win a lot of games, which he did this year. Uh, you know, wasn't particularly fantastic uh, either, but I, you know, even if some of his, his, you know, some of the other stats will show up, you know, like for example, you know, like his his goals saved above expected might not be very pretty and all this. Cause, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about that, but I still feel like he did, uh, considering his age, his abilities, and uh, what we expect of him. I still feel like he did, uh, for the most part, uh, did his job uh, uh, out of what we expected you on the overall sample. For sure, 
Um, just to give a little insight into the stats on the year, uh, finishes the season 32-12-4, and 49 games played. It's 32 wins, 10th most in the NHL, um, long, long afterthought, but he was an all-star um, as well. Uh, finished the year two shutouts at 2.76 goals against, 9-11 save percentage. Um, the advanced analytics where it gets a little bit uglier, mm-hmm. uh, a negative 17.06 goal state above expected, and just an 801 high danger save percentage. Um, but one thing I did want to bring to light a little bit about that goal saved above expected, um, there was that just horrible stretch where um, you know both Talbot and Kakinen were struggling. The Wild kind of went through that lull. There was a little bit of panic going on, kind of heading into the trade deadline. Um, so that stretch was basically mid-February to early March. Um, where Talbot surrendered four four or more goals in five straight starts. His goal save above expected in that stretch um, accounted for negative 12.87 of his um, goal save above expected during that stretch, I think, of like things like five or six games. So the other, you know, 35 games or so, he was at like a f- negative five goal save above expected. So when you look at it from that lens, I think his year looks a little bit better because um, when you spread that out, you know, he's a, he's basically doing about what expected per game, but there was just that one horrid stretch um, where he just was terrible. The team was terrible. The You know, they were dealing with injuries at the time, um, and they kind of righted the ship after that. But, Zeke, I fell with, in the end, kind of taking all that into account, um, I fell in the same area as you, a, a B-minus for Talbot. You know, maybe aside from that one stretch, did what he thought he, we, he should do, ended up in the All-Star game, won some big games, especially down the stretch. I mean, he came in, hadn't didn't lose a game, um, I think it was since like March 2nd or something yeah. um, to the end of the year across was like, I think 15 starts he went or something without losing a game in regulation. So um, finished the season really strong. And I think just taking that into consideration the way he finished um, after rebounding from a, from a tough, you know, mid season swoon. Um, I think, you know, slightly above expectation at the B minus for me, which we talked about, that's more or less what, what the wild need their goalies to be. I'd say just the biggest thing would be just a little bit more consistency, um, for me, you know, instead of the more peaks and valleys, which got to be a little bit, uh, gave some headaches every now and again. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same realm as you guys. I went a little bit higher with a B. Um, I, I feel like he took the reins of the starter for the most part over Kaknan, uh when he was here. But, uh, you know, like you guys mentioned, he has good moments, his bad moments. Uh, I think. The reasons I went with B instead of B minus was that stretch because it was a stretch down, down the you know that last part of the season where we were fighting for home ice and and uh, although it did not help us in the end, he still played his ass off. Went thirteen zero and three in his last sixteen starts, and uh, I, I felt like he got even better once Flurry got here. I just I kind of wish he got more of a shake in the playoffs. Uh, I understand why they went with Flurry, but. Uh, I, I certainly wish he got a start before game six, but that's why I gave him a B. It was he really helped us kind of fight for that home home ice. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think too many fans <clears throat> will uh, disagree too much there. So let's move to the other man who who kind of manned the pipes, um, in for for the Wild there down the stretch. Just eleven games in a Wild jersey um, in the regular season. Um, I don't have the playoff stats in front of me, but finished nine and two in the regular season with a 2.74 goals against a 9.0 save percentage. So very, very similar to what Talbot had. Um, finishes with a negative 1.82 goal save above expected, which across 11 games, not too shabby there. And then a 0.811 high danger save percentage. Again, a little bit more on that lower end. 
um, 60 saves on 74 high danger shots. Um, a 0.52 player contribution score in that time frame. 27th best among starting goalies um, in that span with at least 21 games played. Uh, Justin, we'll go back to you here for your thoughts on Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, you know, obviously the playoffs a little bit more in play for him here, having made five of the six starts. I also gave him a B. <clears throat> Both guys got the same grade. Um, his numbers were eerily similar to Talbot's while he was here. Talbot's full season stats. Um, they both were about two seven, put two point seven goals against average, right around point nine one save percentage. Um, his, I mean, he really took the team by storm in his first three starts, allowing only four goals, and, and kind of helped that tandem. Uh, the tandem helped us get to the home ice, and uh, at times I do feel like he looked kind of out of control, out of position. Uh, wasn't totally that Vesna caliber, but still, really, I, I kind of. I feel like he helped us in a way um, with that consistency over over Kacknan, who <clears throat> nothing against Kacknan. I liked him, but I felt Flurry brought more consistency and more veteran presence. Uh, again, it didn't help us really advance in the playoffs, but, um, you know, the fans loved him, and it was a fun little stint. But uh, we'll, we'll see if he's back next year, but that, that's kind of why I gave him a B. For sure. Uh, Zeke, we'll go to you next. I know a huge Flurry fan, so maybe doing your best to throw some biases aside here. Um, where did you land uh, for your grade on on the flower? Yeah, I went to the C plus. Uh, just a little, you know, kind of tried to, you know, like you said, it was sort of a little bit difficult. I mean, obviously with the sample size you mentioned, only playing sixteen total games, you know, it's kind of hard at that point to, you know, really make an overarching conclusion, but. I just thought, uh, you know, like Justin, you mentioned with, uh, you know, he did have, you know, a few good games. I mean, I can remember in Carolina, Dallas, as you mentioned, his first three at home where he did look like the guy that he'd been in Vegas and been in Pittsburgh. Was it the Dallas years. game where he had the assist on the Goudreau goal? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that the was, game winner? That was awesome. Yeah, that was that one. And, uh, you know, that obviously shows his puck handling ability right there. And, and you know, that's pretty trademark of his own. But, you know, I think overall, I mean, just – you know, like I said, he was nine and two, so he was good enough to win them games. But uh, you know, about there was about three or four starts there where he was kind of allowing five goals, and it, you know, obviously I think it's been a thing his whole career. But he has he's prone to allow kind of softies, or you know, as, as many people have said during the season, you know, the long range slappers with you know nobody in front of them, uh, you know, right through the five hole or miss them or whatever, and, and you know, just kind of those mistakes where you you know it just kind of puzzles you how you can make a acrobatic glove save then a minute later allow a unlocked slapper from the point to go right through your legs but I, I thought overall he was fine um i didn't think he was really bad he's kind of like talbot he did enough to help the team win a lot of the games he played but uh he didn't get to you know specifically he, he didn't play at that uh, Vezina level either that justin mentioned and uh but i mean to be fair i think part of that you know as you mentioned too with you know the flopping around but being really active in goal i think Part of that might be being thrown into a new team like that uh, mid-season. You know, maybe it's a little difficult to adjust to the way he plays you know, and just get that cohesiveness. But I thought overall that C plus. I thought he was, uh, you know, I, I I thought he was fine overall. Yeah, and I think I I land right in between you guys there to B minus. Um, you know, same as what I gave as what mm -hmm. I gave Talbot. Um, and for me, it was just that playoff. 
Um, you know, regular season, I thought he was good. Probably would have got a BB plus me for the regular season. But when you look at 11 games and five games, like that's, you know, basically a third of his games were played in the playoffs and those, those very meaningful games. And that's just kind of where he fell a little bit short. You know, granted the Wild, you know, didn't do much to help him offensively, no. um, you know, support outside of really Kirill Kaprizov, Jewel Erickson Eck. Um, so hard to pin the entire playoffs on him until like he played poorly, but it just felt like, you know, and it and I think you could definitely see it. There was a lot of rebounds being kicked out, kind of in those for you know in those playoff games. It felt like the Wild almost had to change their defensive structure to worrying about covering rebounds and stuff. You know, versus you know I think when Talbot's in there, that rebound control is a little bit better. He's gonna swallow that first one. They're more worried about you know taking bodies and passing lanes away, different things like that. So, um, you know, did a little bit better I think than what I expected. Um, you know, didn't, wasn't having a great year in Chicago, um, came over, had that good stretch to kind of finish the regular season, you know, when, I don't know how many games ends up being down the stretch there, 26 games, I think, or so, since he was brought in at the deadline through the end of the regular season, and between your two goalies, you only lose three times, um, twice in regulation, once in overtime, I mean, that's, that's pretty damn good, so, you know, hard, hard to knock him, you know, down to that, you know, C range, so, um, yeah. was hoping for more of the playoffs again I think that's still going to be one of the most interesting um, storylines heading into the offseason as well I think you know if you're Bill Guerin the sudden you know availability of a goaltender like John Gibson um, maybe becomes attractive too um, would require probably require you to let Fleury go and maybe trade Talbot as well um, but that'll be a conversation probably for a podcast in a week or two here um, but definitely I think you know what what the wild decide to do in net um, you know, these, these next, you know, these next couple of weeks here, I think will be, you know, outside of what happens with Kevin Fiala, probably one of the more interesting storylines, um, to watch as, as we, as we move ahead. Um, sure. anything else about the goalies you guys want to touch on? Uh, not really. I just want to, you know, you mentioned it was the playoffs for Flurry. I mean, it was beginning, you know, he made that penalty shot save early in game one. I, you know, I'm, you know, obviously we're both there, but, uh, yep. you know, that's still one of the ones I was bummed about. Cause that, I mean, that place was like rock in there and it just kind of had that feeling of, okay, you know, here we go. That's good signature moment right there. All mm-hmm. time. Great. Uh, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out way, but I thought that's a cool moment anyways that, uh, that happened here. Absolutely. All right. <clears throat> well, let's move into, um, the blue line next. We'll start with everybody's favorite player. Um, especially mine. And that's Jordy Ben. Um, <laughs> I really tried to be as nice as I could here. Um, and I ended up um, giving good old Jordy Ben a D. Um, didn't sink him for the F because there was like a stretch toward the end, like when he played those final couple games. Um, I think it was on the pairing. I think it was mostly with Goligoski, um, where he had some respectable numbers. Like they weren't great but they weren't horrible. So that bumped him up from like that D minus F range. Cause he had a little good stretch um, ends the year playing 39 games, um, a pretty terrible 48.32 expected goals for percentage. I think he was the only blue liner to be below 50%. Um, you know, he finishes, you know, a minus five penalty differential, just an absolute black hole of offense. Um, 51 hits, 41 blocks, and one goal, seven assists. Like, he just, to me, when he was in the lineup, he just didn't do anything extra. Like, he was just kind of 
a body that to me really blocked Kalen Addison, who I'd rather take, you know, the the defensive blips that could potentially come from Kalen Addison than just Jordy Ben nothingness. Um, I'm sure he's a great dude, like nice guy. Um, but his play on the ice was just at times hard to watch when he would just get, you know, burned on the wing or beaten out of the corner or, you know, there was a time where, oh, it seems like he could maybe, you know, at at this point, you know, maybe take a guy away here, play a body and nope, you got burned again. Um, Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's a lot more plays that made you groan than like, oh, nice play by Jordy Ben there. Um, so, um, 3.22 goals against per 60. That was the worst among, um, the eight regulars in the lineups, like he just absolutely was a eighth actually in every defensive metric. Uh, now that I'm looking at my stats here, so that's Boy. goals against, shot attempts, scoring chances, high danger chances, expected goals. He was eighth in every single category. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So uh, gets a good. solid not... D for me because there was that one tiny good stretch, but maybe that's just me being a little bit generous. That's uh, not great, Bob. Uh, you know, but. <laughs> You know, I don't know. It's uh, like you know, kind of like YouTube, Brett. I uh, didn't want to trash the guy because, as you mentioned, it did seem like he was fairly well off guy on the team, and I mean, he did seem to handle you know being in the in the press box for long stretches pretty well. Uh, you know, he's a lot of times in their locker videos was in there, seemed to be in, in good spirits a lot. So you know, obviously, you know, this is obviously not personal, anyways. It's just based, strictly based on performance, but. You know, I think it was, you mentioned the Black Hole offense. What's funny is that earlier on the season when he scored his one goal against Montreal when they were 8-40 and 40 at that point, uh, that was the day after we recorded the podcast, I think, where you, Brett, you know, went on about him, about how horrible he was and why do they keep playing yeah. him 15 games in a row. Yep. And then, you know, the reverse jinx that night worked uh, just for one night, but it, it did work uh, just a little while. But, yeah, no, uh, D, I don't think for me to I have a hard time thought about i mean yeah i can't can't justify going any higher than that it's just yeah you said there was pretty much nothing there aside from you know he was there i guess yeah like i'm i'm looking at his like end of the year card like trying to find something positive and i'm like there's, yeah. there's like the only no. area that's like blue are goals for and pdo which oh obviously like so the, the you got lucky <laughs> It's yeah, like yeah. basically what that means. Like it, that's not You're anything lucky. you did. So, uh, Justin, where did you fall? Same grade D. <clears throat> um, I, I nothing. I mean, guy, I can't even talk right now. It's the end of my day here. <laughs> I mean, nothing really jumped out at me with him. Uh, he did fill in nicely at times, like you mentioned, when we dealt with all the injuries to various defensemen at different times. Um, I mean, he was brought in to be <clears throat> basically the seventh defenseman, so he wasn't really planned to be in the lineup as much as he was uh, without the injuries he went to Ben. But uh, like you mentioned, I, I wish Addison got more of a shake than he did there. I, I do want to say, though, um, I think playing one game in the first 17 makes it hard to play catch-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't want to make excuses because <clears throat> they're all professionals, but uh, it's hard to be in game shape when you're uh, playing one of the first 17 games. And I mean, he comes in and doesn't do a whole lot still, but um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to develop anything in that situation. But again, he was brought in to be a seventh defenseman, not to be some crazy uh, like third line pairing guy or anything more than that. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. feels like we're all in the same spot here. And then these next couple of guys, I think are where, where I'm kind of curious to see where we all fell. Uh, let's go to John Merrill next here. Um, 
you know, I think a guy that was brought in, you know, expectations weren't crazy high for him. Um, kind of brought in as the number six defenseman. Um, finishes the year four goals, seven assists, nine points. I think career highs in all, or excuse me, four goals, um, sixteen assists, seven of those primary, nine secondary. Um, which I believe were career highs for him across the board. Um, blocks 112 shots, second most on the team. A um, little bit prone to penalties, negative eight in the penalty differential, but decent possession metrics across the board. Uh, 57% of the goals, four at five on five, 51% expected goal share. And then everywhere else across the board, just kind of very average, nothing spectacular um, uh, for John Merrill. So um, that's kind of the high level of the stats at the core. So uh, Justin, let's go to you um, again here for um, where you settled on for your John Merrill grade. I may have gone a little high, but uh, I gave him a B um, as the third uh, parent defenseman. Uh, like you mentioned, four goals, 16 assists, 20 points. They were all career highs, like you mentioned. Second to only Brodeen and block shots, spent some time on the PK. Um, I mean, his ass, his attributes were more suited for the defensive side of the puck, so the the point numbers were nice to see out of someone who doesn't normally do that. And then uh, he also led the team in block shots with 12 in the postseason. So I felt like he was pretty solid for that third pairing. I wasn't quite sure what to expect out of it. Um, and I felt like he, he was overall pretty pretty well there. Yeah, I, I don't think it's an unreasonable grade at all. I came in at a B-plus for him, actually, because kind of as I alluded to to start, like the expectations when he came in were like, I didn't really have any, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, he'll be the number six, seven. But, you know, I think for me what I look for in a third-pairing defenseman is just stability. Like, a guy that's just going to mm-hmm. go in every night, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, and, like, he just felt pretty consistent to me. Like, there wasn't a ton of, like, oh, it was an incredible game from John Merrill or, oh, it was a shit game from John Merrill. It's like, yep, that was a pretty typical, you know, run-of-the-mill John Merrill yeah. game. Um, and I think, you know, probably could have been a B, but when you rock a hair-stash combo like he does, you get a little extra credit. So you get the okay. B+. plus. Um, for something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I was just really pleasantly surprised. I thought he brought good stability to the third pair. Um, I thought, you know, I, there, there's some analytics out there. If you probably search my handle and, and Merrill Addison, where those two actually were great together in the third pair. Um, but we didn't get to see that more amidst the inju- injuries, but, um, obviously, you know, recognized by the management partially through the season gets a three year extension, um, and should be kind of locked into the third pair here for the next, you know, couple of years. And you know, again, just some good stability, nothing fancy about John Merrill, just, you know, what you need in, in, in a third pairing guy. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm just trying to get lower to B. I think, you know, part of my grade maybe is just like you mentioned there in, in a bottom pairing D like that. You don't, you know, if you, a lot of times people, like you said, I mean, a lot of people say if you don't notice them a lot, it's probably a good thing. And yep. maybe that's part of my problem here is it just felt like maybe I didn't see him do too much, which, you know, again, is because he's doing his job. Not it's, you know, those guys, their job isn't flashy, as you mentioned. Uh, just, just get the work done. Don't make too many huge mistakes. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I don't remember, you know, like we just talked with Jordy Ben there several times. You can remember getting walked and all this. I don't really particularly ever have any remembrance. Obviously, it happened, though, of, of John Merrill getting, you know, completely blown by or making some bunch of boneheaded mistakes or something like that. And overall, like you said, did, you know, pretty much, you know, did a good job of what he expected. I was a little surprised, you know, through your extension that you mentioned, just because, you know, especially that it came so quickly. But, I mean, you know, I guess if you get a bottom pairing D like that uh, signed at, you know, 1.2 million, you don't have to worry about going out in free agency and getting another guy is 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 probably a good thing. But uh, yeah, no, overall, I think, uh, 
you know, he did a pretty good job and, uh, you know, he went, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I think he was, I just thought he was uh, solid pretty much. Yeah, for sure. Um, so pretty, you know, pretty much an agreement across the board here so far. I was hoping to have a little more disparity. Maybe this guy <laughs> will bring some. Next up, we're going to talk about Dmitry Kulikov. Um, and I think it'd be really easy, um, especially if, you know, the recency bias existing of just the yes. two horrendous playoff games he played. Um, but I really tried to be top of mind of that when I was thinking about Kulikov. Like, yeah, I could probably pull out, you know, any player on the team's worst two games and give him an F, right? But so again, mm-hmm. trying to be objective here, looking at the whole season. Um, and I fell on a B for Dmitry Kulikov. Um, you know, another guy brought in, you know, expectations weren't crazy high. Um, basically brought in because they weren't able to get Ian Cole, but really great analytics defensively across the board. Um, and, you know, finishes 2.08 expected goals against um, per 60 minutes. That's third best on the team. 53.45% expected goal share. Um, 54% of the high danger chances, scoring chances, um, and finished with a 60.95% goals for percentage as well. Um, only 1.98 actual goals against per 60. That was second best on the team. Um, only a minus one penalty differential. That was best among the wild blue liners. Um, 100 hits, second most in the blue line, only behind Dumba. 103 blocks. Um, you know, I think throughout the regular season, you know, again, we talked about Merrill, you know, being very stable. Um, and Kulikov, I think, too, you know, when, when all the defense were healthy and you really were able to run that Merrill-Kulikov third pairing, they were really mm-hmm. solid together um overall and you know Kulikov never a guy that was known for offense um but again I think like Merrill basically set career highs off the board um ar- around the board his seven goals I think were four more than his previous career high I think of three um if I recall correctly so um you know again not a guy that is anything spectacular but I think just positionally he always seemed to be kind of in the right spot um do the right things and you know overall I mean it's, again the playoffs different story two really horrible games but again um, to pin two losses on just one guy when the whole team were terrible seemed unfair. Um, so I basically decided to more or less kind of throw those out and just kind of look at what it was. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a pr- pretty good season um, for Dmitry Kulikov. So I settled on a B. Justin? All right. I went with a C plus. Um, a little more, uh, he brought a little more than what I expected, kind of the higher end of uh, what you expect from a third D parent. I felt like, like you mentioned, he brought some offense, and, and I felt like he scored a big goal here and there. Uh, yeah, the two playoff games were abysmal, but beyond that, uh, he never really looked too bad overall. Uh, filled in nicely when Brodeen uh, was out. Uh, with or he Filled in nicely with Brodeen when Dumbo was out for that little bit, and uh, he was third on the team in block shots with 103 and like you mentioned, added over 100 hits, so the 100-100 clubs. So felt overall, under the, other than the two playoff games and a game here and there, he was pretty solid for that third deep pairing. Yeah, and one thing I will note, too, played 80 of 82 games and actually averaged 18, a little over 18 minutes a night, which for you know a, th- a third pairing guy, not super common, but Justin, as you alluded to, you know, spent a good deal of time kind of filling in in that top four, you know, whether it was Dumba or Brodeen or Spurgeon for periods of time. Um, I think that, you know, with some good versatility to be able to move a guy up and put him in some more of those tougher situations. You know, for me, I think I went a little higher than both of you guys. Actually, I went with a B plus. Uh, yeah, I know you mentioned met, uh, or mentioned Brett, not Brett. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I had a little bit oh, of a brain fart there. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. 
anyway, as you mentioned, Brett, obviously he's never been more of an offense. I mean, as you said, he hasn't had, you know, last three, four years combined, he had like, he had five goals and complete total. And obviously offense, as everyone knows, isn't what you bring a guy like that for. But I just thought that, uh, you know, compared to what you expected, I remember everyone was saying, oh, he's probably going to be a really good defensive player, be a little bit physical. And, I mean, I think he obviously brought all all those things and did that job very well. But, you know, like you said, uh, you know, the offense, I was really surprised at, the, you know, obviously it's not like a ton, but I was still really surprised at what he was able to do with the puck and how he actually was able to score a little bit more often, obviously, than he had. And I just thought uh, that he, you know, and then he also had, uh, I don't know, I just thought uh, to get back a track that he's just, you know, he was for me, a lot better than I expected. I mean, I thought he'd be good, but I just thought that he showed a lot more upside to his game than I thought. I thought he would just be a guy kind of like uh, I, we talked about, maybe more like a John Merrill, somebody like that, who I just you know thought you don't really notice, but they do their job and are solid. But I just felt like I noticed him a pretty good amount. And, and for the most part, during the regular season, at least, like you said, I thought that was a positive. And, uh, you know, I just thought he was a really good addition at the uh, – pretty uh, low price too as well yeah absolutely all right well moving right along let's go next to alex galagoski also known as goose um man I, I don't know who wants to start here but just a very interesting season um for alex galagoski just two goals but picks up um 28 assists 11 of those primary 17 um secondary assists played almost 19 minutes a night 72 games played a minus nine penalty differential, a 105.2 PDO first on the team, a 66.94% goals for percentage. I don't know the plus minus off the top of my head. Um, I got that. Uh, Justin's got it very high. What, what was the plus minus? What did it end up at? Uh, it actually <clears throat> broke a franchise record, uh, plus 41. Yeah, plus 41 on the year, 4.36 actual goals for per 60 on ice. Um, for him, that led, I think, probably the whole team. Um, also, the team in expected goals for per 60 at 2.47 um, led the way as well in scoring chances and high danger chances um, per 60 as well. Spent a good chunk of the year alongside Jared Spurgeon and then kind of guys reps managed down the end of the year um, onto the third pair. So um, holistic view, interesting to think about. Justin, where did you fall on Goose? Goose got a B from me. Um, I mean, I feel like he looked to slow down at parts of the season. Then I felt like he was kind of rejuvenated with that third pairing and, and quietly put together the second most points by Demon on the team with 30. Uh, be, he was tied with Brodine for second most. Uh, like we mentioned, uh, he broke that plus minus rating franchise record, which plus minus is what it is. But when you're plus 41, that's, that's damn good. And then uh, he also blocked a decent amount of shots with 96. So, I mean, I feel like he he performed a little more than what I <clears throat> expected. Um, yeah, I mean, he was pretty solid, especially once he got moved down a little bit. Zeke? Yeah, I mean, this one was probably one of the ones I spent the most time thinking about. Um, I mean, I personally, I settled in at a B2, just like Justin. I mean, for pretty much the same reasons. I mean, I know through the beginning of the year, I think probably for like the first 30, 35 games, he had probably like, you know, 20, 22 of his points already and was – you know, it actually looked fairly decent on the top pair of Jared Spurgeon, which is kind of what they had, uh, you know, resigned him to be the Ryan Suter replacement, I guess. And then, obviously, as you mentioned, Fred, he slowed down. I mean, you know, a lot of that you maybe can factor into age. You know, he's obviously, I think he's like 37, 38 right now. So, 
uh, you know, maybe, you know, and, and I think uh, I think it was you, Justin, you brought up that good point that he looked really good when he was uh, slotted in on the third pair at the end of the year. I think that's probably, obviously, more where he's going to be the next few years as he gets older. But I, you know, I thought B, I think, is a good grade for him. I mean, he wasn't standout-ish great, but uh, you know, he also didn't have too many games where he was horrible and and was not incredibly turnover prone and obviously like how he was able to move the puck and create a little bit more offense you know maybe not the same defender that ryan Suter was but he, he did provide value on the other end and uh you know seemed to be another guy that was uh, well liked in the locker room uh, by his teammates and obviously by bill garen too who uh you, you know made the i guess somewhat surprising decision to extend him in the spring but two by uh, two right yeah no uh yeah it was yeah. it was the, it, that was right yeah so you know which i mean hey if he's you know, obviously, it was a little confusing, but I mean, you know, not much to complain about with him. I thought, that, you know, considering fact that his age, getting up there, uh, I think he, uh, you know, I think he was kind of like another guy who was more, more or less the player that you would expect. So. Yeah, Zeke, much like you, I put a lot of thought into this one, and I teetered back and forth quite a bit between A minus and B plus, um, and ultimately fell on a B plus for him because. And what it came down to to me is kind of what I alluded to, like led the blue line in pretty much every offensive analytic stat. Um, and you could argue, was that maybe carried at times by Jared Spurgeon? Sure. But when we did see kind of that demotion, if you will, the third pair, he maintained some really good numbers and maybe, you know, was, you know, maybe being able to play against a little bit weaker competition. Um, but to do what he did this year, I mean, to go out, Justin, you said, break a franchise record and plus minus, which, you know, I don't like that stat. But the reality right. is when two-thirds of the goals that are scored um, are for your team when you're on the ice, that's a guy you want to put on the ice, exactly. right? Um, and regardless of how those goals came, whether you want to call it luck, ultimately, you know, when you're looking at a whole season view, at some point, like, hey, maybe there was something he was doing, you know, behind the scenes that was making it was making the puck go, whether that was moving the puck, being in the right spot. So um, are the defensive numbers across the board not great relative to teammates? Um, is 2.28 expected goals against per 60 was seventh out of eighth defense, but 2.28 in general is kind of like league average-ish. So not terrible when you compare it that way. High danger chances, 11.04 per 60. Again, on the lower end of things, but not terrible. Then everything else kind of, you know, balanced it out, I felt like. So, I mean, overall, a really good season from a guy at his age. Um, you know, the extensions to both him and Merrill, to me, are still a little bit puzzling. I would have chosen one or the other. Um especially with Addison and, and, you know, in the wings and you have Kulikov for another year. Um, again, I think, you know, that's probably storyline number three is it seems like one of them, um, probably most likely Kulikov, um, will be on their way out this off season. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's too much you can really say, like, I wish Alex Goligoski would have done more of this or more of that. Like, I feel like he very much did kind of what I expected and at times, you know, exceeded my expectations. All right. Well, moving right along, um, I don't know which of these you want to refer to as the top pair, but um, <laughs> let's go next to probably one of the most divisive players um, in the Minnesota Wild organization and basically has been for probably the last four or five years now, and that's Matt Dumba. Um, Injury-riddled season uh, for Matt Dumba. Uh, missed over 30 games here. Let me grab the card. Where is it? There it is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, played 57 games this year, so missed 25 in total. 
Um, pretty average numbers across the board analytically. Nothing mm-hmm. dreadfully horrible, but nothing that really jumped out at you. Um, seven goals, um, 20 assists for 27 points. Um, did rack up 116 shots from the blue line. That was second most among the blue liners. 114 hits that led the wild blue line. Um, an individual shooting um, contribution, so shot attempts, high danger chances, individual expected goals. Um, ranked first in the wild blue line in all of those metrics. Um, 26 giveaways, 15 takeaways, and a minus 10 penalty differential, averaging just over 23 minutes of ice time um, per night. So, um, Justin, we'll go to you first here um, for kind of where you fell on a grade for Matt Dumba. Uh, this one was kind of hard for me, honestly, uh, but ultimately I went with a B plus. I mean, like you mentioned, he missed a good amount of time this season playing only 57 games with, like we know, the punctured long, broken rib. Um, I mean, you see the huge impact he makes in the locker room when he's there. Uh, had 27 points. Uh, like you mentioned, hasn't been the same since that first injury and just kind of every year is kind of injury riddled. But um, one of the things that kind of popped out at me was he was one of the best five versus five D men in the playoffs this year as well. Uh, no one on the team allowed fewer controlled zone entries than him. And, uh, you know, he was one of the players that was not a passenger in the playoffs overall played on the PK too. So uh, you, you kind of wish you'd stay in a lineup with, with less injuries, but uh, you, you see his impact when he is there. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was really tough for me. Um, and I, I came in a little bit harsher on Dumba. I, I came in at a C plus. Um, and for me, what it comes down to is really two things. I mean, he missed 25 games. Um, right. That's, you know, almost a third of the season where the Wild didn't have Matt Dumba. And it came during some key stretches. Um, and if it was a one-time thing for Dumba, sure. But, you know, this is starting to become a recurring thing where he can't stay on the ice. Um, and there was a season where he had, like, 12 goals after 20 games, finishes this season with just seven. We saw him taken off the power play at times this year. And, you know, the defensive game, I think, has improved. I thought he was arguably the Wild's best blue liner in the playoffs as well. Um, but for me, like, you know, improving on defense is great, being kind of average across the board, you know, after he's been very sporadic kind of throughout his career, you know, it was good to see. But when you're missing a third of the games and then a lot of penalties too, um, you know, when you're constantly putting your team on the kill and we know, you know, it wasn't something the wild special teams are able to handle for good chunks of the year. And he was a main culprit of one of those guys that continually put the team on the kill. So, you know, had he played, you know, only missed 10, you know, five to 10 games, I maybe am comfortable putting him at a B, but, you know, missing a third of the season coupled with, with the penalties for me, I, it, it, I had to come down harsh. So I, I landed on a C plus Zeke. Yeah, I went a little bit in the middle. I went with a B minus. Um, you know, I think, like you said, Bert, he certainly wasn't bad by any means. And, I mean, it's he's another one that's tough, too, because, you know, a lot of times people talk about how his pairing with Birdie, and who we'll talk about in a minute, is great. And But, you know, a lot of times it's okay, well, is Birdie, and really he's the seems to be the straw that stirs that drink for the most part. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, too, he's not, he's not anywhere near the defensive liability that, you know, half of this fan base will make him out to be he has never really been aside from maybe the first two years of his career but i mean like you said it just doesn't you know as everyone knows hasn't seemed to have that offensive pop that he's you know that he had uh, when he tore his uh, tore muscle in that fight with matt chuck you know three four years ago and, and just seemingly has kind of been as you mentioned brett just having similar seasons after that i mean one of them was obviously injury then pandemic but then, as you mentioned, the last another pending shortened season. But as you mentioned, he has been 
hurt and that's just been kind of a recurring theme and it's just been a recurring theme of you know even when he has been on the power play you just haven't seen you know even when he has open you don't see that same booming shot uh, that he was so deadly for for even the first i mean four years of career he was a 10 15 goal scorer and it mm-hmm. seems like he would get even better but yeah no i thought you know i obviously everything he brings in the locker room on the ice and the community and all that is great and awesome everyone knows so great of a guy he was but yeah, i'm with you i think uh, i think it was a yeah, I did think be honest, guy. I just didn't think he would. He, I guess maybe disappointing is the right word, but uh, I guess he just were, would have hoped for a little bit more. For sure. <clears throat> so finally, some disparity there um, between us. Maybe I think I this, little, what's that? Maybe I went a little high, but uh, no, that no, I, I like yeah, it because I think because yeah. I think every point made holds true, right? right. It's just ultimately, right. you know, how how do you, you know how do you weigh the pros against the cons um, right. in the grand scheme yeah. of things? So. Um, next up, his defensive partner, uh, Jonas Brodine, affectionately known by Dumba by the name Jimmy. Um, Jonas Brodine <laughs> finishes the year five goals, 25 assists. Um, so is that four, uh, 30 points, which I believe career highs again for him um, in a couple of those areas. 126 shots on goal. That actually led the Wild Blue Line. 126 blocks led the Wild Blue Line. Um, at 24 takeaways, another stat where he led the Wild Blue Line, um, averaging almost 24 minutes a night. Played 73 games on the year. Um, and, you know, again, just elite defensively across the board. Um, an incredible 1.97 expected goals against per 60. And that's playing against some of the toughest matchups in the league, including, you know, the Connor McDavid's, the Nathan McKinnon's, you know, whether it was the Ajo line in Carolina or the Bergeron line in, in Boston. Like, no matter who was out there Jonas Brodine was matching it up and shutting those guys down which to me just year in year out continues just to be mad impressive incredible skater um you know we saw some flashes of him show a little bit more offense you know carrying pucks into the zone you know obviously shooting a lot more leading the blue line in that category getting some looks on the power play um you know to me it was kind of it really seemed like you know this is what you know we finally kind of saw everything that Jonas Brodine has to offer this year um, and for that reason, he he was the only defenseman to get this grade from it. I gave him an A plus. Uh, I mean, I don't think to me there was nothing else I could you know maybe to play an eighty two game season, which is you know it, it's a rare thing to happen, right? Like that's the if that's the only thing I can knock on Jonas Brodine from this year, um, gets an A plus for me. Like I I don't have anything. There's nothing negative I can say about Jonas Brodine. There really isn't. Yeah, no, I think uh, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with you in that uh, I went A-plus as well. I mean, and I went teetered back and forth because I thought, well, he was very good. It probably was his best career season, but I also went, is it, It was the, you know, was it really that shocking that he was that good? But I think all the points you mentioned, Brett, I mean, I think the offense, a little more of the offense, a little more puck handling has been coming seemingly the last couple of years. He's seemed to just have a little bit more of that confidence, uh, you know, even there's been... I can remember, not specifically, but I just remember a bunch of times uh, these last couple of years where he's actively been the one carrying the puck into the mm-hmm. zone and actually skating it, but then he gets there and cycling the puck on the power play. I mean, he's not obviously a power play quarterback, but he's shown the ability to at least be able to hang there at times. And, I mean, like you said, uh, elite skater. You know, one of my favorite things to watch is, uh, you know, when he'll get the puck behind the net and waiting to make a breakout and, doing the half turn stop half turn stop to avoid guys and you know it's just look makes it look so easy as we said for 10 years now but uh yeah no i think uh, i think a plus i think he was uh, i agree he was fantastic this year uh, again and uh you know, it's just uh i mean it's, it's still amazing to me that he's been in the league for 10 years now but yeah 
and he's what like 27 yeah <laughs> on top no, of that too no, <laughs> whatever 28 yeah mm-hmm. yeah having him locked in at six million dollars for the next couple of years feels pretty darn Sweet. good yep it does all right justin where'd you fall all right consensus a plus e, uh, well deserved jimmy Sweet. yes not gonna <laughs> i mean i'm gonna touch a lot of the same points you guys did but uh, yeah. i think you know, having a career year in terms of assists and points just adds that more of an element when, uh, you know, he's already one of the better, best of defensive defensemen in the league. You know, like you mentioned, elite elite skating, elite defending. Uh, he can keep up with the Connor McDavid's and all these players with, with the way he skates and, and rarely looks out of position. Um, he even chipped in with one goal, two assists in the playoffs, spent some time on the P- power play uh, sometime on the penalty kill. And uh, I will say, I feel like he's just as important to our blue line as Kaprizov is to our offense. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I, I wouldn't fight you on that. And I'm not sure a ton of people will. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think if, if he was a guy that were to miss ex- extended time, like that's just not a guy you can replace, right? No. Um, and I think we've really seen, I think especially kind of over these last two, two and a half seasons, we've seen the evolution of Jonas Brodin into, you know, elite defensive defensemen to elite two-way defensemen. Um, and I think that's been huge to really add that offensive element, even if it isn't like, you know, it's not, you know, he's not, you know, he's not a Kale McCarr offensive defenseman, right? right? Like he doesn't have that. You know, Kale McCarr is the elite of the elite. No just does. you know, just <laughs> you know, basically, you know, took home the Norris Trophy because of the elite two-way game. But you know, Brodin's really starting to add that you know that um, that offensive element to his game and really starting to become a really well-rounded defender. And that's been huge, I think, the development of the blue line. So yeah, um, well, I mean, just just one more thing on that. Yeah. I think you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Justin mentioned him being just important to Diaz, Kaprizov, as the forward group. I think. And Brett, you know, mentioning Makar, I think Russo was saying, you know, he said something at the beginning of the year, like he thinks, you know, the Wild losing Brudin is like Colorado losing Makar. And obviously not the same player. One of them is arguably the best defenseman in 40 years. That's not really, obviously, it's not really the point he was making. But I thought, you know, I thought when I heard that this year that, the, you know, you guys kind of were kind of touching on that too a little bit. But I think, you know, uh, just, I mean, I think he is obviously, like you said, just that important to the team. And, uh, and like you mentioned, Brett, I mean, if you, he just does everything pretty much at an elite level uh, from almost any angle you can come at it. So, For sure. All right, two defensemen to go, and it was the top you know, the, the top pairing, if you will, um, to kind of round out round out the year. We'll, we'll talk next about trade deadline acquisition, uh, Jake Middleton. Um, I don't know, whichever one you guys wants to start uh, can go ahead here. Go I'll ahead, go see. with you. Yeah, okay, well, you know, obviously, you know, trade deadline acquisition, not – much known about him. I remember seeing, you know, uh, from reports, I think it was like Frank Cervalli's trade board on Daily Faceoff or whatever that he has every year where, you know, Middleton was on there. And I mean, you know, because he was, I think he was ranked in the top 10 or five or whatever, you know, big defenseman uh, who's a decent skater, you know, you kind of thought, well, that's going to be a guy that's going to be expensive. I mean, you know, if Ben Schrott can get a first round pick and like four other pieces, then. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, not a proven player, but you, know, you get the point. It was a little bit surprising that they, you know, got to make us didn't really see it coming, but, you know, it just seemed to be what they needed. I mean, personally, I gave give him an A. I thought, you know, first game started off really badly when he was on the ice for that first goal, but then after that, uh, you know, he did exactly what I think uh, a lot of people said, but you think you specifically on this podcast, Brett said, 
you know, you know, people are one of the many people campaigning for him to be put on that top pair of Jared Spurgeon because of his experience in San Jose. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, doesn't turn a whole lot of offensive upside, but I think, you know, as we all know, it just, you know, he provided a little bit of a security blanket, I guess, for Jared Spurgeon to maybe move the puck and be a little more free on the ice, kind of like, uh, you know, Brodeen has done for Dumba in the past and just, uh, seem to fit really well and, and uh, you know, obviously felt their need or and want to uh, get a little more beef on their blue line. Sure. Yeah, his was a little bit tougher one for me because um, I think, like, memory and eye test for me, like, oh, yeah, he was awesome. He was an A. And then I kind of look over the numbers and I'm like, eh, you know, there's a little bit something more I need for Middleton. Um, and I ultimately fell for him um, as a B. So, and, and here's my reasoning. Um I don't think it was quite like the analytics don't jump off the board, um, putting out his rates per 60 kind of basically between fifth to eighth and pretty much every notable analytics stat, which isn't great. Um, but there was some time where he wasn't with Jared Spurgeon. You know, you're coming from a brand new system, um, you know, being thrown into top pair minutes against tough competition. So I think there's going to be an adjustment period. I would expect those numbers to continue to kind of go up. I think as we saw him and Spurgeon get more and more ice time together, um, we saw them become better and better. And, and I expect that he'll be, you know, mm-hmm. um, extended this off season and, and slotted right, you know, in right next to Jared Spurgeon for, for a good chunk of next year. And I think we'll see, you know, may, maybe a little bit more of an offensive Jared Spurgeon because he does bring that stability, that big body, mm-hmm. that state home defenseman type. Basically, he's kind of like a better version almost of an Ian Cole is, you know, kind of what I think when I think of Jake Middleton. But, um, you know, averaged over a shot per game, over a hit per game, um, about one and a half blocks per game, um, finished with just a minus one penalty differential across 21 games played, um, averaging nearly 18 minutes a night, nice time. Did chip in five points as well. Um, we saw him step in and, you know, fight some guys at times too. So I think there's a lot to like there. Um, it wasn't just quite enough for me to be overly wow, mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough where I was disappointed. So coming in you know, slightly above expectation at, at, at that B for me, um, but big expectations for him for me going into next year. Like I, I want to see him take kind of that next step, um, being trusted with those big minutes alongside Jared Spurgeon. Yeah, for sure. I <clears throat> I kind of went in the middle. I went A-. minus. Uh, I also feel like he had kind of a rough start, but it seemed like the more he played with Spurgeon, uh, the better they got. And like Zeke mentioned, it allowed Spurgeon to jump into plays more and know that he has got a guy like more of a defensive defenseman that will, will be there to pick him up if, if something were to happen. Um, I love his shit grin smile that he has at times, <laughs> <laughs> that toothless grin. Um, oh, yeah. It has nothing to do with his play, but uh, just like the mullet and the stash with Merrill, that kind of adds some points for me. Um, I love – his physical brand to play and, and the fact that he's willing to stand up for teammates and fight uh, another player that, although some of it was with a lot of it was with the sharks, um, another hundred, hundred player with hits, block shots, and uh, got some penalty kill time. And uh, like, I, I think him getting brought in really, like we mentioned it, it solidified the first pair, but it also solidified the third pair with Goligoski moving down. So, Without a doubt. you know, he played with Carlson and Burns in San Jose and lost my train of thought because <laughs> <laughs> lost my train of thought because the, the podcast uh, went away for a minute there. But uh, yeah, I, I just feel like he brought stability, stability to that first pair, which brought stability to that third pair um, as a result. So yeah. uh, overall pretty happy with him and, and like you, Brett, I expect big things out of him next year, developing more chemistry with Spurgeon. For sure. So, 
all that kind of said, you know, we we've seen anywhere from I think Russo and in, in a mailbag earlier this summer had like a contract projection around like two million on an average annual value. And I think there was at one point this year where evolving, or I think it might have been Dom Lucigian's model um, of the Athletic had his like market value somewhere like the three and a half four million range. Um, what do you guys think, or you know, what's your expectation, or what do you think would be a fair um, it won't go term because that's you know a little bit hard to predict. But yeah. in terms of average annual value, where do you want to see and what do you think would be fair for Middleton to come in at here? Because I think that's you know a, a big piece. Um, you know the, the next domino I think to fall, if you will. I think you know that that'll be the next signing I would think um, is being prioritized um, by Garen and company. Well, I mean, I think first of all, I mean, I, I know obviously you know not everything that the general manager is going to say publicly is always going to be true or correct, but. And we said pretty confidently after a year-end thing that we are going to sign them. So mm-hmm. I think like all of us expect that they will find a way to do it. Uh, but you know, it's I mean, it's kind of it's tough, obviously, because it was his first year really as an NHL player, and you know, he, he, it's a little bit of uncertainty there. You're still new. Uh, you know, he's not. You know, he's a solid, seems to be a solid player, but there's nothing that he does that's you know elite or high end or whatever. He doesn't have like great shot. He's not an elite skate or anything like that. So it's a little tough, but, and obviously I think part of it plays into, you know, the cost factor that, you know, well, technically he was a top pairing defenseman. So is that going to inch his price up maybe by an extra hundred thousand or two, who knows? But I think, you know, he, I think he deserves to get paid. Obviously, you know, he's been on AHL rookie deals for the seven, eight years now. Yeah. I, I imagine I think he came in at like right around, I think he came in the, like, at like eight, like 860 K or something, I yeah. think was his, most not recent much. deal yeah well and that's including the fact that he bounced around one way two way right. a lot in the minors yeah. and all that so i don't know i think maybe around two and a half is probably a fair deal not quite in that three million range i, mean, I guess that could still be a little bit much but uh, i think that would be a i think that should they should be able to afford that in the team perspective justin we're talking about middleton correct yes sir yeah his last contract was uh a two-year 1.45 million dollar contract um uh, Personally, I think somewhere between one and a half and two million would be would be a good price tag. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little more, but uh, I I feel like in my mind that's that's about where I sit with him. Yeah, I think for me, kind of given the role, like if if he was playing like middle to bottom pair, I think I'd be in that one and a half two. I think given that he knows what his role will be and that he's going to play those top difficult minutes, I, I'm expecting probably rate in that two to two and a half. Um, so consensus from Sound the Foghorn, anywhere between one and a half to two and a half. Um, average annual value, be pretty happy with that. I don't anticipate it being more than that, um, especially knowing in the cap crunch. I think the interesting thing will be the term. You know, is it a is it a two year deal? Is it a three year deal? You know, ideally it's a three year deal. You know, to kind of get him through the buyout situation. Um, you know, again, we talk about stability and 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 you know controlling your costs. You know, if you get him locked in, you more or less would have your blue line solidified through. Um, the end of the buyout period, which should you know give them some nice flexibility thereafter to re- reshape as as they see fit. Um, the only expiring contract I think at that point would be Dumba, um, and then if they decide to keep Kulikov, and then Golagoski would be um, one year before that all ends. But you'd have you'd then have um, Brodine, Middleton, um, Spurgeon, and Merrill all locked in through the end of the buyout at a minimum. So <clears throat> it'd be a nice group of four to move forward with, in my opinion. So. One thing I, I will add, though, sorry, dinner. No, you're good. That. You're good. But uh, I mean, I think he, 
I think it was the story. It was maybe after a second or third game where he said that uh, he called his parents afterward and said it was the most funny dad playing hockey mm-hmm. anywhere. I mean, obviously, you know, hasn't played it. Really, is kind of new to the NHL, but I think, you know, I just think like just mentioned with his goofy smile and his personality, seems to be really easygoing guy. I mean, yep. I remember he was on Ray Ferraro's podcast saying he had like two pairs of pants or something like that. So <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine. Obviously, you want to get paid, but it's hard to imagine that he's going to put the grind to you know, Garen and try to put, you know, hold out or yeah. an extra hundred K or something like that. So should yeah. be, I don't think it'll be a huge problem. Yeah. And he is an RFA too, which is nice from the wild's perspective yes. too. Like you kind of have those, you know, mm-hmm. those exclusive negotiating rights. And then, you know, I don't, an offer sheet, is it possible? Yes, but I doubt the wild, let it get, let it get right. to that point. So I, I do personally think that he's probably worth like the, the higher and like the two and a half mil or more like you mentioned, Brett, because yep. it was wrong. But I feel like Garen has a way of getting these guys to take maybe a friendlier contract, like mm-hmm. we see the Ed contract, the Hartman contract. I mean, mm-hmm. he's developing a culture where people want to stay here. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe it comes to the trade, you know, a, a term trade-off. Maybe it ends up being a four- or five-year deal, um, right. you know, giving them stability. Like, hey, you've bounced around, you've been back and forth, let's give you some stability here. You know, you help me out, I'll help you out kind of thing. So we'll see where that goes. We can maybe talk some more about that um, on a future podcast as well. Um, All right. Well, you know, saving the best for last, the captain of the squad here, um, Jared Spurgeon um, is the final player we will talk about today. Um, You know, just more of the same from from the wild captain this year. Um, You know, plays 65 games, leads the defense in expected goals, um, and scoring chance share, second in goals for, um, first in goals with 10, um, 16 primary assists, 14 secondary assists, um, 83 block shots, 44 hits, 116 shots on goal, um, 14 giveaways, 13 takeaways, just a minus two penalty differential, averaging over 21 minutes per night um, in first or second um, in every single analytical defensive category. First or second, no lower than second on any single metric. Um, and I think any metric where he wasn't first, I think it was either Brodine or Goligoski, um, you know, who was ahead of him, Brodine in the de- defense, and then, you know, Goligoski leads him in the offense. But again, you know, how much of that was actually Spurgeon and not Goligoski? So hard to say too many, too many bad things um, about Spurgeon. Whichever you two wants to start, go for oh, it. You can, no, I'll go ahead and start. <laughs> uh, I gave Jared Spurgeon an A, you know, the captain. I felt at times he didn't look himself but still had an excellent season um uh let's see finished with 40 points good for best on the team by the defenseman uh, three assists in the playoffs of course we know he was a lady being finalist controlled 59 percent of expected goal share at five versus five which was good for fourth in the league continues to be our best dual threat defenseman on the team uh played penalty penalty kill one power play one minutes and then in terms of expected war, he ranks seventh in the seventh in the entire NHL. So just another phenomenal year for Jared Spurgeon. Sorry if I took some of your analytic stuff from me, Brett. No, you're good. No, I went through most of it. Um, and then I'll talk. You know, I have my PCS model. Um, averaged one point five one per game, um, which was best among the Wild defensemen, and by that model, ninth best in the NHL um, among two hundred twenty eight defensemen who played at least thirty games this year. So pretty much a top ten defenseman yeah, awesome. um, by whatever analytical model you want to use. Yeah, uh, I just went to A two, same as Justin. Uh, you know, obviously it's a 
obviously captain named last year, second year coming in, first year at the full season and all that. And, I mean, he was on pace for career as of points, you know, yep. scored another 10 goals. You know, it's another underrated thing. I mean, you look, he's had some injury years, but he's, you know, it's always, you know, usually been a guy who's been getting able to get that double-digit uh, goal call in every year. Obviously, seems to be a great leader in the locker room. Everyone knows, uh, you know, is, is obviously a great player. Um, you know, still a lot. It's just really fun to watch him. You know, obviously he struggled a little bit in the playoffs because of injuries and you know, maybe yep. because of size at times. But it is still very fun to watch. You know, him outmaneuver guys and, and outweight guys who are you know another 30, 40 pounds heavier than him and about half a foot taller than him, despite his size and, and just be you know very good defenseman. I mean, you know, it's uh, I think he's awesome. Uh, he's a top pairing defenseman. You know. Arguably a number one defenseman as well, and uh, just awesome this year again. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's not a guy you trade; that's the guy you keep and sign to a huge seven-year deal. And uh, happy he's here. Yep, yeah. I'm right there with you guys. We got a three for three here on on Spurgeon as well with the A. Um, I mean, you guys covered all the good stuff. I guess for me, the only thing that that held me back from the A plus was the fact that um, you know he missed 17 games in a regular season. Um, you know, and they, and they felt that when he was gone, right? Like, you, mm-hmm. you know, having a Brodine and Kulikov as your top pair, like that's probably not ideal. Um, and you know, there was, you know, when you're there, I think there was some stretches where they're missing both Brodine and Dumba as well. So, um, obviously no fault of his own, you know, just kind of some, some fluky injuries, different things like that. But, um, you know. I don't, there continues to be this like weird, like one-off discourse of wild fans wanting to trade him. Um, and I, I don't get it. Like, yeah, he's got a high cap hit, but, um, he's a top 10 defenseman and pretty much everything analytics you can draw up except points, which like, Hey, when the forwards are doing the work, who cares if he's not, you know, putting up a point per game on the blue line? Like, I don't, I don't really care. Like, if he come like, like and Zeke, like you said, like he was on pace for career highs if he plays any two game season. Um, at age, what is he now? Thirty one, I think, or something like that. Thirty, he's around thirty. Yeah, 32. I think. Yeah, to yeah. be thirty two and near your career highs in offense, like that gives you confidence moving forward. Um, I think at least for the next couple of years, it'll continue to be, um, a really good player. Um, and I think he'll have longevity, kind of in the way that Ryan Suter did, right? Like, um, will he be elite offensively? No, but I think he's going to be able to maintain and play a top four position through the end of that contract. Um, I just, there, there's nothing, you know, the whole size thing, I'm, I'm tired of it. Like the analytics year after year after year for Jared Spurgeon are crazy. They're great, and he's playing against tough competition. Like the size to me, it, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, again, just if he, if he plays 10 more games, he gets an A-plus for me, but missing 15 um, was just enough to, to hold me back from the from the plus ranking. So, um, yeah, well, I mean... I mean- yeah, and to ahead. say about the injuries, though, Brett, I mean, it's, I think that's one of the things we found out, uh, you know, at the end of the oppressors and all that was that he had mm-hmm. been playing with whatever injury it was for, since he got hurt and missed the Winter Classic there. Yep. So the fact that he still came back and played at, you know, maybe almost a career best level dealing with that is, Crazy. I mean, and I know a lot of guys do that in this league, but, they, you know, even more impressive that he was able to, you know, do that, to, to, you know, even with uh, having, you know, his ability, you would think somewhat hampered so absolutely all right well that'll wrap it up quick summary so if i average out um the grades here across the board um more or less here's what we settle on the goaltenders each average out about a b minus both talbot and flurry uh jordy ben a unanimous d 
Um, Dmitry Kulikov, John Merrill, um, both come in at Bs. Um, a little bit more disparity among us for Kulikov. Pretty consistent on Merrill, but both delivering above our expectations there. Alex Goligoski as well coming in at a solid B. Matt Dumba comes in at a B minus. Uh, Jared Spurgeon at an A, and then Jonas Brodeen, the star of the bunch, coming in with an A plus. Um, <laughs> you know, when your entire blue line ranks between a B and an A plus, I think that's overall a a pretty good year, all things considered. A couple of our forwards end up with with Cs, um, but none of our defense outside of Jordy Ben, who you know only played because of injuries. So. Um, and didn't wow us. So overall, a great year from the blue line. I think, you know, one of the things we talked about coming into the year, um, you know, was how would the Wild handle injuries to, you know, a top four defenseman? And we got that answer. And it wasn't easy at times, but overall, whether it was, you know, an Alex Goligoski or a Dmitry Kulikov or, you know, at times a Kaelin Addison stepping up and, and filling in to the best that they could um, and helping them still win games, even if it wasn't always in the prettiest way. So overall, a, pr- a pretty good year for the blue line. You know, some things left to be desired, but overall, I think um, not a whole lot of terrible things um, to say about the blue line overall. No, definitely. And and we also saw what it was like to miss two of our top four demons yep. at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, not ideal, but uh, we made it through and then had the best year in franchise history, which is something to be said. For sure. For sure. All right. Um, well, that'll wrap up all the player grades. We've done all the forwards, all the defensemen, the goalies. Um, feel free to share your feedback with us. Let us know if there's anyone you heartily disagree on or anyone you think we hit spot on. Love hearing the feedback. Love having those conversations. Um, but aside from that, I guess, guys, here, uh, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap things up? Uh, you know, not much more. I will say just uh, personal for me, uh, I did send on the car okay, a couple weeks ago. I had sent to Jeff, uh, you know, where the, the, the you know Kyle run going traitor to Wild fans for the Avalanche, and I saw <laughs> some people go on. Yeah, I can't root for Rewat. I I am joking. Maybe sometimes I seem a little too stern about that. Uh, that's just the way I, I talk and the way I tweet. Uh, it's a, just a whole thing with me. So I do not mean to tell you who to root for. Just to make that clear, it was entirely <laughs> joke. So please don't think i uh, have a huge problem with that i don't it's just uh, funny robbery stuff uh, so yes no i'm still very that upset up. that andrew cogliano shin pad got in the way of a nico sturm mm-hmm. stanley cup final yeah. goal um, straight to jail too. yep straight to jail for andrew cogliano stole a goal for nico <laughs> jail yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm only rooting for no. the abs because nico hoisting a cup just feels it feels right couldn't happen to a better guy yeah Darcy Kemper glimping to a cup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Darcy Kemper. Yeah. I don't really care about that. Like, I love watching, you know, Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon play hockey. But I, you know, yes. this yes. podcast knows, and we've all been, you know, the, the Sturm warning, you know, rooting for Nico mm-hmm. Sturm, not rooting for the Avalanche is kind of how I, how of I phrase it for myself. Right. But Nico Sturm happens to be on the Avalanche, so. <laughs> all right. Exactly. And it may not be, you know, Tampa's won it twice, and the whole Braden point, I'm still salty about it, so. <laughs> Just change it up. Let's change it up. Let's add the parody, right? Yep. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, any final thoughts here? Uh, just uh, really looking forward to, I mean, all the episodes coming up, but especially the draft stuff. I've really been plugging away at the at least Elite Prospects Draft Guide, um, getting a nice little list together. So I, I'm yeah. very excited for that and the draft coming up. It's probably my favorite time of year. So. 
Yeah. Just I mean, uh, looking forward to these shows coming up here. Yeah. We're definitely getting to, you know, I think one of the most fun times of the year as hockey fans, you know, the, the draft free agency, you know, just, it feels like you're just glued to your phone to, you know, the insiders and who's going where, who's making what trade. Um, and as we'll talk on a, on a show here, um, in the next couple of weeks, like, it's going to be a busy off season for the wild because it has to be. So um, keep it here. We'll, we'll cover everything. We'll give some insights um, kind of what to look forward to in the next two weeks or so here. Um, we will have a show. We'll kind of go through an off season checklist, cover things we think Bill Guerin needs to do, maybe play a little be a GM and talk about some moves we would make if we were Billy Guerin, including signings, trades, things of that nature. Um, we still do have the award show coming your way as well. Um, still finalizing a date for that, but keep an eye to the socials um, for the polls on that. Again, fun stuff like goal of the year, player of the year, MVP, rookie of the year, all that fun stuff. Um, we'll you know we'll kind of compare those to our midseason uh, poll as well and see you know where maybe things aligned, what changed down the stretch um, as well. So tons of fun stuff there. Of course, a draft preview. We'll recap the draft as well. So tons of stuff to look forward to. We will be probably pushing out closer to more. You know, one, one and a half episodes a week here um, for the next couple of weeks. So tons to look forward to. Uh, but yeah, that's that's about all we got today. So, uh, Justin, why don't you uh, remind everyone where they can find you and all of your work? You can find me at DE's2004. You can find me at Kaprizov C with the Kaprizov Countdown. You can find me at MNW Prospects at MNW Young Guns, which will also be throwing out some draft stuff at, draft stuff at some point too. All right. Zeke. Uh, as usual, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Zeke Boyup with a capital Z, capital B. Uh, you know, as usual for links to the podcast, you know, news articles, etc., whatever you can uh, find me there. All right, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at b underscore marsh ninety two. Be sure you are following the podcast account as well at Sound the Foghorn, all one word, both on Twitter. And Instagram, off-season coverage, draft previews, awards, all that coming your way in the next two weeks or so here. Tons to look forward to. Stanley Cup could be hoisted as soon as uh, tomorrow night, I believe, if the Avalanche can pull out a win on home ice in Game 5. More episodes your way next week. But until then, this has been another episode of Sound the Fox.